Hello, fellow disciples of the disc, fellow followers of physical media. I'm shameful Steve Noble. By now you'll be familiar with our regular podcast, the Bristol Cult Film Society Cult Film Podcast Podcast. But we've been having difficulties constraining the activities of one of our core contributors. That's right, John Tiberius Kirk, the Blu-ray Bloodhound, has outgrown his kennel on the main pod, and you're now listening to our very first bonus episode, the Blu-ray Bloodhound Unleashed. Are you looking for that OOP of OC and Stiggs? That Darjeeling Limited, limited edition? That Sapphire and Steel, Steelbook? Who knows? The Blu-ray Bloodhound knows. In a development that's sure to thrill anyone with an appetite for the abnormal, a hunger for horror, an addiction to the aberrant, we're letting John off the leash with his own show, an extended version of his already brilliant roundup of new releases. And you'll also hear me chime in from time to time, Together, for the first time, John, Tiberius Kirk, and shameful Steve Noble, the Blues Buddies. In today's show, we have a roundup of all that's new and collectible, as well as extended reviews of Slaughter in San Francisco, John Frankenheimer's Impossible Object, nah, never heard of it either, and we joined in with the sticky-floored love fest for Scala, the movie. And now, without further a blues... Here he is. He's the Raja of the re-release, the Emperor of the extended version, the Doyen of the Director's Cut. It's the Blu-ray Bloodhound. So, a bit different this month. So, we usually do a run-through of what's coming up uh, for the month ahead, and we're still going to do that. And then we're also going to look at... um, I'm also going to give you a bit of a taster for what's to come, but in the middle... So it's not just, this is coming out. How about a few reviews? So I've got a couple of discs that I've um, watched recently that I I really enjoyed. And also a bonus one that I'd just like to mention, which I'll just tell you what it is now. It's the Scarlet Documentary, which we've got to give that a bit of love. So first up, I uh, wanted to review Slaughter in San Francisco. soon be making a fortune. What do I do? Rob, smuggle, peddle drugs, anything that makes money. He's the man who framed my parents. How do you know? Because he tried to rape me. You really want to save your parents? (laughs) (laughs) My parents are in great danger. There's a big criminal gang behind all this. I'm certain of it. I only know two kinds of people. Those who obey me those who die. I don't want to know people like you. Handsome man to get rid of him. Whoever gives us trouble must die. Believe me, fellas, you're welcome to choice. 
try it? No, I'll just stand by and watch. Get him! Come on, I'll show you the real thing. You didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> Now, this disc is released by Eureka. It's on their Classics label, and it's out on limited edition Blu-ray on the 19th of February. So the film itself um, came out essentially at a time when uh, martial arts films in particular were really starting to take off in the West. And Raymond Chow, producer, um, who you know, produced quite a, quite a few well-known films, he was looking to make it big in America. Um, this was after Bruce Lee sadly passed away and Enter the Dragon had just been a ridiculously big hit so he produced a film called called slaughter in san francisco which is also known as yellow face tiger which is a a different cut but slaughter in san francisco is the shorter u.s cut and the shiriki disc has got both follows police officer called don wong san francisco police officer who with his partner john summer um, save a young woman from an assault at the hands of a gang of criminals however she doesn't want to press charges and this sets off a chain of events that essentially leads to um, Wong, who's our main character, being thrown off the police force. Uh, he ends up killing a thug by mistake um, when he's trying to take down the hooligans. Um, and his partner, Summer, is murdered by Slaughter's men. And eventually, Wong vows to take down the criminal boss who's overseeing this. That criminal boss is played by Chuck Norris, who is fab, but hardly in it. <laughs> so he, he's in it early on. He comes back for a big fight at the end. Um, but it was an important film on the way to him, you know, making the likes of the Delta Force um, through to Walker, Texas Ranger, that TV show, if you remember that, which was a big favourite of my granddad's. And I think um, The Expendables 2, was certainly one of The Expendables, was one of the final films he was in. But he made lots of big films in the 80s, particularly for canon films. You did all this? I fly solo. I thought you knew that. Yeah, I heard it, but I didn't buy it. Well, now you do. Um, so what do I think of the film? It's... Um, it's very entertaining. Um, there's, there were some, you know, inspired uh, martial arts um, sequences, particularly uh, Don Wong uh, on a beach. Um, he's got a battle with Hoodlum on a rooftop as well, which is pretty good. And the finale, um, when we actually finally see Chuck Norris, we've, we've seen him spar throughout. He finally um, says enough of his goons who can't take down Don Wong, and he just comes out and and uh, gets involved in the final battle. So. That's good, but the problem is none of the martial arts sequences are up to some of the best. Uh, not not one of them. Um, and Norris's fight, whilst it's nice to see him, it's not up there with his fight with Bruce Lee in the way of the dragon. But it, it's entertaining throughout. Um, there's some beautiful, scene, you know, beautiful San Francisco um, scenery um, throughout, except that actually it's not really shot in San Francisco. Uh, it's shot in Daly City mostly, but it's you know, um, so you don't really get the iconic landmarks. Um, you know, you, it opens with a beautiful. Um, kind of drive through the, the two police officers are, are kind of just uh, out on patrol and you get some of the San Francisco sequence you know, scenery then once those opening titles are gone that's it never mind we don't see it again um, but yeah I mean I enjoyed it overall I wouldn't say it's um, it's one of the, the best but it is nice that we're getting you know these these titles that have, have got some importance I mean Raymond Chow trying to make it big in the States with this uh, Chuck Norris it's you know not by not not his first film, but you know, very early Chuck Norris film. He's playing a villain as well, which he did on occasion, but obviously he's often known for his heroics. Um, and the disc itself, you get the two cuts, as I've mentioned. You get the original Hong Kong theatrical cut and the US export version. The um, Hong Kong cut's a little bit longer. 
two feature length commentaries which are absolutely fantastic to be honest so Frank Cheng and Michael Wirth um, provide a, a brilliant commentary uh, on one of the cuts uh, particularly focused on how the continuity is all off on that opening sequence um, and they're a fabulous partnership for any of you know if you've ever listened to one of their commentaries and then uh, Mike Leader and Arm Venema who are also absolutely fantastic they pop up on another commentary um, and give a lot of detail but actually the the best extra feature in them is called Karate Cowboy Talking Chuck which is a 41 minute overview of Chuck Norris's career it's fantastic it's worth the price of admission better than the film probably um, and you, there's also a um, 15 minute look at the shooting locations which interspersed with some interviews with um, actor director Michael Worth we also get Golden Harvest producer Andre Morgan um, and we get the trailers so there's a really good finale um, there's some wonderful location footage just you know not if you're expecting it to be some fun and it is entertaining and the release is brilliant I mean the, the transfer is phenomenal you know in fact we get two cuts there's a good booklet as well I liked it overall so as ever let's delve in with a look at releases from four of the best labels around before a quicker run through the rest that February has in store up first and we're getting two Australian treats this month from Powerhouse Films' Indicator label Snapshot and Patrick which are both receiving their own lavish limited edition Blu-ray and 4K editions each packs a new 4K transfer from the original negative by Powerhouse Films themselves and an exclusive 80 page book and both are released on 26th of February This is Angela. She used to be just like the girl next door. Now she's everyone's favorite snapshot. she run to for help i don't know when to take you seriously it's a very serious matter death i'm afraid i can't let you do that can't let me and uh, now perhaps uh, one with the arm down a little just a hint more breast Sweet, innocent Angela. But soon, she's not so innocent anymore. How long did you have to lie on your back to earn more money than I get in three months? Right. We were lovers. We had two screws. Love had nothing to do with it. From the decadent nightlife and the jet-set discos, Angela is playing a deadly game of hide-and-seek. And only one person can win. Snapshot is a conspiracy of terror. Why is she so frightened? Only she knows. So, Snapshot. This has already had a release in the UK by 88 Films, which was decent enough, but this looks to smash it out of the park. For those who don't know, it's the feature debut from director Simon Winter, who directed another court gem in Harlequin, which has had a release in the UK by 88 Films, and that family film classic, Free Willy, which was a bit of a phenomenon in the early 90s for those that are too young to remember it. 
Snapshot follows a naive hairdresser who is persuaded by her model friend to try glamour modelling. She hopes this will help her escape her drab life, but a much darker life unfolds. The disc features the 93-minute theatrical version in high definition and the extended 101-minute director's cut from the best surviving materials. It's also got three archival audio commentaries, archival interviews, including excerpts from the documentary Not Quite Hollywood, which are always welcome and have been on a few Blu-rays in the UK, plus a new appreciation on the film by academic and Australian cinema specialist Stephen Morgan, and much more. I'll be reviewing this one for Blueprint Review soon. Inside this building, behind these walls, a shocking experiment is taking place. Patrick is undergoing treatment. They think he's helpless. He cannot feel. He cannot see. He cannot speak. Hello? Is anybody in there? Patrick's secret is the enormous power of his mind. A psychic force so intense that nothing can stand in its way. Chilling investigation. Beyond medicine. Beyond science. Beyond the five known senses. twilight world between life and death, Patrick is preparing his very own day of judgment. Patrick. Next is Australian new wave feature Patrick, which has had much love on the Bristol Court Film Society Facebook group in recent months. It's directed by Richard Franklin, who brought us the Fabro Games, which itself received a fantastic limited edition release from Indicator in 2020. Patrick is a film I've not seen, I must uh, confess, but it's described as a terrifying fusion of science fiction and Hitchcockian thriller and follows a murderer kept in a comatose state between life and death who becomes possessive and uses telekinetic powers after being assigned a caring new nurse. I'm sold on that. Can't wait to watch it. The disc contains three presentations of the film. The original Australian theatrical version, the short and US theatrical cut with American dubbing, and the Italian theatrical version, which features an alternative score by Prog Rockers Goblin. I'm sure they need no introduction, but for those who don't know, they brought us many great court film scores for the likes of director Dario Argento in particular. The disc features an archival audio commentary, archival interviews, including more of those excellent Not Quite Hollywood interview excerpts, and another new appreciation uh, game by Stephen Morgan. Up next, we have three more releases by Radiance Films after their amazing first year of Blu-ray releases. Each of these discs are limited edition with booklets, and they're all out on 26th of February. First up, another film um, that I've reviewed by Blueprint Review. This one's Black Tight Killers.
さっきも言っただろう俺は犯人じゃないんだ殺したのはブラックタイツの三人組の女たちなんだよいえ君たちは一体何者なんだやつらだつけてきたのよ貴様らだな警察にデタラメな証言をしやがったやつは It's a gloriously entertaining, colorful action adventure with some eye catching visuals and a funky score. It follows Second World War photographer Hondo, who meets air stewardess Yuriko, and asks her out on a date. Over dinner, they witness a murder involving women in black tights. Yuriko is kidnapped by the group, and Hondo starts a search to find her. There's a heavy dose of spoof and plenty of style. I adored this one, and、uh, the disc itself is great, although it's not too many extras, but it does have a commentary by Japanese cinema expert Jasper Sharp, which is fantastic, and an archival interview with director Yasuharu Hasibi. Next, we have a world Blu ray first release of Alan Sanfan, directed by the Taviani brothers, Paolo and Vittorio, and follows a box set of three of the pair's films, which are released a few years ago. Alonso Fan follows aristocrat Fulvio, played by Marcello Mastroeni, who gets caught up in an uprising in southern Italy. There's lots to savour, including a score by the peerless Ennio Morricone. This disc packs a new 2K restoration, an audio commentary by Michael Brook, and an hour long archival interview with the Taviani brothers themselves. Radiance also brings us another Thai Kato film after the phenomenal ID Executioner, which they brought out in January and which I featured last month. This time it's By a Man's Face Shall You Know Him, which follows a story spanning three time periods, essentially focused on a doctor played by real life ex accuser Nobuo Ando. He's a pacifist who's severely tested by immigrant gangs, causing trouble for a local community. Sounds great. I adored I the Executioner, and based on that, this is easily one of the February releases I'm most looking forward to. This disc, like I the Executioner, features an appreciation by filmmaker Kenta Fukaseku, who also provides a tribute to his actress, Mum Sanai Nakahara. We also get a visual essay on Naburo Ando by Nathan Stewart. Next, we have what looks to be a triumphant return to the UK for Severin Films. Seems a while since they last released anything on this side of the pond after a flurry a few years ago. But in February, we get two new releases, and they're both dual 4K and Blu ray editions. Don't tell our cult film society leader, Steve Naive, he's not a fan of these dual format editions. Both of these feature eight page booklets. And first up, we get Nightmares in a Damaged Brain, which received a release by 88 Films and a Slasher Classics label a few years back. The following preview trailer is not suitable for viewing by persons of a nervous disposition. Switch off your television set immediately unless you are prepared to be really terrified. Nightmares in a damaged brain. Prepare yourself for the most intensely shocking motion picture of our time. The motion picture everyone is talking about. Hello? Hello, Steve? Nightmares in a damaged brain. Kathy? Kathy? Terror will surround you. Pray you 
survive the night. Scream, but no one can help you. Listen to me, George. It's only a dream, and dreams can't hurt you. <laughs> Nightmares in a damaged brain. It's a deeply controversial film for those who don't know, which led to the imprisonment of distributor David Hamilton Grant and was a favourite on New York's famed 42nd Street back in the 80s. Uh, the discs is stacked with two audio commentaries, a feature on Hamilton Grant, loads of interviews, deleted scenes, and more. Severin also brings us Frank Henenlotter's Bad Biology. Uh, which came out when it when it came out it was the director's first film for 17 years after he'd brought us some phenomenal court classics the likes of Frank and Hooker, Brain Damage and the Basket Case Trilogy. Want a day? Uh, Bad Biology follows a homicidal nymphomaniac who spontaneously births mutant babies. There's a more cult description than that. And that just describes one of the two main characters. This features commentaries, bucket loads of interviews, a short film, music video and much more. Both set to out on 26th of February. I mentioned another date yet. Yeah, that day is ridiculously stacked with boutique Blu-ray releases and there's many more on that to come. Finally, in my more in-depth look this month, we have Eureka, who bring us three releases, two on their Eureka Classics label. And as I've just mentioned, you probably can guess when these are coming out. Yeah, two of them are out on the 26th of February. Um, first, on their Masters of Cinema label, we get a limited edition 4K release of Stanley Kubrick's outstanding anti-war film, Paths of Glory, starring Kirk Douglas. This takes place during the First World War, and after a disastrous mission on the French front lines, three randomly selected soldiers are tried for cowardice by the upper ranks. The trio are defended by Colonel Dax, a former lawyer played by Douglas, and it's just worth watching after that because it's a phenomenal film. I'm awfully glad you could be there, George. This sort of thing is always rather grim. But this one had a kind of splendor to it, don't you think? I have never seen an affair of this sort handled any better. The men died wonderfully. Now, Eureka have released this before uh, on Blu-ray. The new 4K edition contains a limited edition collector's booklet, an O-card slipcase, and the disc itself features an audio commentary with film scholar Adrian Martin, video interviews with Kubrick scholar Peter Kramer, uh, filmmaker and writer Richard Iodi, and critic and author Richard Coombs. We also get the isolated music and effects track. Now, if my memory serves me right, I think the only new extra on this one is the interview with Coombs, um, but with the transfer alone, it's going to be worth it. Finally, Eureka bring us Yakuza Wolf 1 and 2, which um, is a disc that isn't released on the 26th of February. This one's out in a special two-disc edition on the 19th. And it's another limited set containing a booklet with new writing by Tom Mez and Howard Hughes and a note card. The disc features brand new audio commentaries on both films, and a feature by Howard Hughes on the spaghetti western influences on Yakuza Wolf, amongst other lyrical waxings. The films themselves are ultra-violent Yakuza thrillers starring the late great icon Shinichi Sunny Chiba. The first film in the set is I Perform Murder, which follows a mysterious black cad killer played by Chiba who has a personal vendetta against the Yakuza. The second, Extend My Condolences, sees Chiba play, playing a criminal who is betrayed and sent to prison. He wages war on the Yakuza 
on his release. The climax was directly homaged by John Woo in A Better Tomorrow 2, for those who don't know. Now that's it for the in-depth roundup, but now a brief tour through some of the other releases for February in the UK from some of the big boutique Blu-ray labels. First, we've got Arrow, who continue the year in the way they started it, just re-releases, admittedly one in 4K for the UK. Uh, here's hoping we get some new titles soon. They've already released or plan to release some interesting and iconic US-only ti- titles like the two Conan films and Peter Weir's Witness, which is coming out soon, starring Harrison Ford. On 12th of February, the UK gets separate 4K and Blu-ray releases of the 1978 Philip Kaufman version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, starring Donald Sutherland amongst many others. It's a great cast. <laughs> All the extras seem to be ported over, but we do get a new transfer, new artwork, a rigid slipcase, booklet, posters, and art cards. Arrow are also releasing a separate non-limited edition standard 4K and Blu-ray versions of their Psycho set that came out last year. Uh, it's now called Psycho The Story Continues. Can you guess why? Because it doesn't contain the original Psycho now. Uh, it's out again on that date, 26th of February. Um, and as well as losing the original Psycho, it also loses the booklet um, and has different packaging. But it retains Psycho 2, 3 and 4, the beginning. Uh, the Psycho disc, for those who still would like it, uh, that was on the original limited set, is the Universal Uncut Edition, which you can still get. Arrow also bring a standalone 4K and Blu-ray editions of their recent four-film Hellraiser Quartet of Torment limited edition set. This time, it's called Hellraiser Tetralogy. All the on-disc content is the same, but this loses the booklet and has different packaging. Those on-disc extras and transfers are phenomenal, though, for those who haven't seen the set. So it's a must-have if you missed out. And, yeah, it's out on the 26th of February. Blimey. We'll tear your soul apart. This month, the BFI are bringing us a 4K edition of Wages of Fear, um, which the, the Henry Clouseau film, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, that's out on 19th February. And as well as a 4K transfer, this contains a new video essay on the film, plus archival extras and an illustrated booklet for the first pressing. The BFI also released Getting It Back, the story of Simand on 26th February, which contains extended clips, a deleted scene. Q&A and rare footage of the group performing in the 70s. And on 19th of February, they're releasing the documentary Werner Herzog, Radical Dreamer. Second site are releasing a limited edition of French extreme film Inside on 5th of February. This one's got six collector's art cards, a 70-page book, new audio commentaries and interviews. The Criterion Collection have two new UK releases. First, on 12th of February, we get the critically acclaimed Mudbound, directed by Dee Reese, and featuring a stellar cast. This one's director-approved, includes a new 2K digital master and leaflet essay, plus a new audio commentary, two new documentaries and interviews. Criterion also bring us 4K and Blu-ray editions of John Sale's Lone Star on 26th of February. This has long been on my watch list. Um, this one's director-approved disc with a new 4K digital restoration, some new interviews and very gorgeous artwork. And it's already started to get some reviews and it looks to be absolutely fantastic. Next, we have 88 films. No Pete Waterbox box set yet, just yet. I believe it's still due out in March, so fingers crossed for that in the next edition. But hey, until it's released, I've got to give it a plug each month. 88 are, though, due, and I say due because some of these dates um, don't seem to be quite set in stone. Um, they are due to release several gems. First, we get another new edition of the original Amityville Horror, this time in 4K. It's the house on the hill. It's called You get Evil Dead Trap 1 and 2 um, on 26th of February, which... Um, they, they look to be absolutely fantastic films and they're packed with extras and essays 
we get gold starring Roger Moore, which is due out on the same day, as is So Close, directed by Corey Yoon, um, featuring Shuki amongst uh, others in a great cast. And finally, also on the 26th of February, 88 are due to release is Street Law, which is a Polizia Tashi directed by Enzo G. Castellari, who brought us the original Inglorious Bastards. Um, this one starts Franco Nero. My last February release is to look out for on a UK label. But as they're region free and releasing some really cool stuff, I hope it's okay to mention them. Now, they're called Film Masters. They brought out some fab double bills, including the uh, common produced or directed films like The Terror, Stone Boris Karloff and Jack Nicholson, and the original film version of Little Shop of Horrors, which also featured an amazing cameo from Nicholson. They've so far released four court double bills, plus the 1930s adaptation of The Scarlet Letter. And on 20th of February, they're releasing The Swiss Conspiracy, which is directed by Jack Arnold, made B-movie horrors like The Incredible Shrinking Man and Tarantula, amongst others. Um, and The Swiss Conspiracy features a great cast, including the likes of John Ireland and John Saxon. Anyone with a great deal of money to hide knows that Switzerland is the safest sanctuary. The system is considered foolproof, or at least it was. Now, Miss Abbott, the bank has retained Mr. Christopher in this special emergency to protect the interests of its clients. Protect us? He's U.S. Justice Department. Not anymore, Bobby, not for a couple of years. Get him out of here. Blackmailers want uh, 10 million francs from the bank. One million francs from each of the victims, five so far. So 15 million francs, that's what, approximately six million American dollars. Because you can't go to the police, the scandal would be public in 24 hours. Not very good advertising for a proper Swiss man. He says there's a ransom to pay? Yeah, that's what I want to talk to you about. Good. Follow me. This features a documentary on the late years of Arnold, a visual essay on the filmmaker, and liner notes. They're a label that's really well worth checking out. The restorations and special features on their first few editions have been absolutely first class. Now, all that's left is my look forward. And this one is to both March and April, because for those who haven't seen, Indicator have just announced their slate for those two months, and they look to be just absolutely brilliant. In March, they're bringing us lavish editions of three more Lucha Libra films from Mexico, following their excellent Santo double bill last year. This time, it's 1967's The Panther Women, 1968's The Bat Woman, and 1970's Santo versus the Riders of Terror. And then in April, we get another Jess Franco double bill after some amazing releases so far that they brought out last year and there's many more to come. We get separate 4K and Blu-ray editions of The Nude Vampire and The Demoniacs. I'll have more to say on these in a future edition, but suffice to say, they look to be definitive, beautiful limited edition sets, each containing an 80-page book, hours of extras, and they all look to be up to the usual indicator standard. My second review is Impossible Object by Indicator. Um, so Impossible Object is a the French version of this film, um, as it is possibly better known in the Western story of a love story, which was the international cut. It's a shorter version, though. They both complement each other, but I'm going to focus on the impossible ob- on impossible object itself, which is the, the better of the two. Directed by John Frankenheimer, so he's done some great films, Bourbon of Alcatraz, um, The Manchurian Candidate in the 60s, lots of other stuff and through to Ronin in 1998. So some really good, um, good, good films there. And it follows Alan Bates, who probably most iconic moment was with Oliver Reeve in wrestling in Women in Love. But he did a lot of great British films. 
um, and you know he's got a real good screen presence. The film itself is um, quite strange and obscure, um, often described as probably the most obscure of Frankenheimer's filmography. Didn't get a theatrical uh, run in the US or the UK and wasn't widely distributed at all. I think it, it hasn't been on British TV since the 80s and it's been very difficult to get until this beautiful indicator release, which came out in January. Um, based on a novel by Nicholas Mosley of the same name, he's got uh, dual screenwriting credits with Eric Kahane on the original version, although he's the only sole credited writer on the international cut. And it features, the novel essentially features loads of separate stories, different characters, different locations, but they all interconnect. What we get in the movie is far more streamlined and it focuses on a small band of characters. So headlined by Lovers Harry, which is played by Alan Bates and Natalie played by Dominique Sander. And it effectively... It follows kind of their their romance essentially, but in in a very um, kind of non-linear way. Um, so it doesn't feed everything to you as well. You you kind of get a sense of um, both of their family lives throughout the film. You know, Harry's married; he's got kids. Um, Natalie's uh, also you know married, or, or although really not getting on with with her husband. Um, so you get them. You get a lot of the backstory interspersed with moments of them together um, and what I particularly liked about it was the you know and that's what I'm going to say about the story actually because just go in not knowing any more than that what I liked about it was the non-linear fashion it feels like a fantasy at times it's like there's a beautiful sequence that during um, like a, a Greek inspired party that's just like it's just like a fantasy it's like where have I gone have I gone somewhere else and it's like a romantic scene where you know in, in this you know this beautiful bedroom it's it's just you know very random from very different to anything else that's in the film you don't really know whose point of view you're getting you know is it harry you learn in um quite early in i think it was the i think it's the international cut you in quite early and that he's an author so is he an unreliable narrator um you know is it a novel he's written you know you don't really know it it just doesn't it's not very very kind to you in that sense but it is just so watchable um cast is fantastic um the original version, uh, mostly slightly in French, you know, when they would be speaking in English, they speak in English, but otherwise they talk in French. And, and Bates and Evans Evans, who um, is, is the only other English speaking star in the film, they both dub themselves. So you're actually getting them in, you know, speaking French. Beautiful cinematography, um, which is to be expected because the director of photography was Claude Renoir, who lends Cleopatra, um, Barbarella and Spy Love Me, amongst others. One of my favourite, probably is my favourite James Bond film. So it is really sumptuous, and there's a really good score by Michael Legrand who um, did, did you know lots of great work in, in the sixties and into the seventies. Um, and there's the occasional horror as well. There's there's a you know there's a potential murder and uh, that party sequence, which is you know descends into fantasy. There's some quite unsettling moments, and um, I'd say it deserves more deserves more attention. Um, it should have you know should be better seen. The disc itself has got a new 4K restoration and um, looks outstanding. Um, there's a lot of scenes shot in Morocco. They look absolutely beautiful. Um, as I said, you get both cuts. So you get the original French theatrical cut, which is the one I'd go for, which is 130 minutes. Um, but Story of a Love Story, which is the alternate international cut, probably better known cut, is uh, 104 minutes. And that, those 10 minutes do make a difference, but they complement each other really well. Uh, Tim Lucas, love Tim Lucas, uh, novelist and critic. He does an absolutely phenomenal commentary on the longer cut goes through the two versions goes through the book goes through the different um different you know kind of um goes through the 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 kind of elliptical moments of the film what's what's real what isn't real um and you know picks out lots of the the stars as well as frankenheimer um and there's also a really good um 
10 minute comparison of the two versions by Michael Burke, which um, really does showcase how some of the sequences have been moved around and they really do make a difference. And the bits that are missing really do leave you having to fill in the gaps. Um, you get a video essay on there as well um, and a four minute interview from a, a 73 uh, French TV program with Frankenheimer. So the only bit with him on there, which is nice to have. Finally, um, as well as some galleries and uh, uh, photo galleries and the, the trailer, you also get a really good book uh, booklet, which is incredibly um, rich with detail again and essentially is another indicator hit and it's what i really like about the likes of indicator and what i really like being a blu-ray collector particularly uh, boutique films is uh, boutique labels is the fact that i would never have heard of this i know frankenheimer i haven't heard of it um so in some physics i had heard of i probably wouldn't have gone out of my way to watch it and whilst i'm not gonna my wife my wife my life my, my wife my life uh wouldn't be uh you know any better for or worse for having not seen it but i have um and that's what i really like about being a boutique blu-ray collector so would your wife have been better for seeing it do you think even better but yeah so um that was good and i just wanted to finish this this section um by looking at the scala documentary that's recently come out which is is absolutely brilliant if you've not seen it. So the Bear Fire have released it, um, and it's um, a release that came out last year, actually in 2023, and it's a film by Jane Giles and uh, Ali Catrell. Um, and it essentially brings together loads of people who both uh, were heavily involved in the Scala, which was, for those who don't know, was a, a cinema that um, was absolutely um, something aware of somewhere I would love to have gone, I think I said uh, on the last podcast. Um, Known for its all-nighters, known for showing lots of you know films that were really tricky to see, known for sourcing original prints, um, and those known for really programming some you know some great seasons as well. Um, the documentary is is really good. The, the the disc itself, I would say, is even better than the documentary. So it it's, it runs through the whole history from before it was the Scala, from uh, right through to what kind of led to its demise. Really, you get interviews with John Waters. Um, Peter Strickland, various other filmmakers that either had their film shown there or, you know, went there. Um, you also get some of the staff, uh, so Stephen Woolley, but, you know, well-known British producer. He was a programmer there from 78 to 84. Um, he, he gives um, some good interviews. That's just Jane Pilling, who was his uh, fellow programmer. Um, she's, you know, she, she went on to, to do a lot with um, the BFI and British Animation Awards. They both went on to, to big things. Um, so you, you get a sense of what it was like, um, you get some fans talking about some interesting stories, including getting thrown out and then trying to get back in. Um, you know, what made it special? And it's interspersed with with clips from, you know, loads of the films that, that were, the, you know, the reasons to go there, really. Um, like some people dead, amongst many others. Um, the reason I particularly... So, documentary is well worth checking out. I would really recommend getting the BFI Blu-ray. I'm, show, I'm showing it to Steve as we speak, which you can't see that. Um, the disc itself is... It's got a commentary with the filmmakers. Um, you get another 60 minute of interviews. They're all great, but what really makes the disc, uh, you know, really worthwhile and what really gives that kind of evocative feel, that, that atmospheric feel of what it was like, are the other extras on there. So, you, are the extras on there. So, you get Scala, which is a 35-minute portrait of the cinema, which was made for Cable London. That was, you know, made in 1990. You get a real sense of it, you know. You know, it, you know, it's just fantastic little, you know, feature there. Again, with some really good interviews. Um, you get a student film that was shot there in, you know, shot in 1992, where again you can kind of almost feel the, the drinks on the floor and, the, you know, whatever, whatever the liquids were uh, were spilled on the floor in there. Um, you also get some three short films that were shown there. 
So some of the films that were quite, you know, really sort of interludes to the, the main features that were, were really popular. Um, Relax by Christopher Newby, Flames of Passion by Richard Kwiatkowski, um, and Coping with Cupid by Vic Albertine, which I'd seen before, actually, because that's had a release on another BFI uh, disc. Um, and apart from some of the other bits that relate to the film itself, some of the animations that crop up in it, you know, you also get um, a, a real look at um, some of the photos and clippings from the Scholar Archive. There's some really rich uh, memorabilia um, and you know you get to see what they are but you also get a bit of the story behind them um, and one of my favorite features on the disc uh, was Scala programs 1978-1993 um, which effectively looks at some essentially they'd, they'd have a month program which would be really pieced together by a wonderful artist um, which would show the films for that month and each of them like a work of art and yeah. you know in their own their own right um, and that well, it's two, great for two reasons. One, seeing that work of art, but also seeing some of the fantastic programs that, that they had. So um, I would really, really recommend it. It's uh, a great release. If you you know don't want to get the the disc, um, do check out the film. And um, you know, I would I would say that uh, you know it just gives you that sense of what it was like to be there, which I missed out on. It's it's frustrating for me because um, I actually was at university in Reading uh, between seventy eight, sorry, between 1980 and eighty four. Never once went to the Scala. You know, it was all thirty miles away, uh, and wish I'd taken advantage of. That. Oh, it sounds like a fabulous scene. Um, Davy Jones, the Viz cartoonist, has contributed some artwork uh, for this, which shows a so say typical audience, and it's it's a really nice piece of of comic art on its own. Another Graham Humphreys, the the renowned film poster artist, I was also very attached to it. He did a cover for a beautiful BFI book on Scala, which I thought that looks nice. I thought I'll have and it's one hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> one of the one of the filmmakers um, actually it, she wrote the book. Oh, did she? Yeah, so it's based on that. I better not diss it too much then. No, but I, I looked at it, and I think you you can get um, I think you can get a version of it for as you say one hundred and fifty quid. But um, there's the there's a limited edition and there's a the less limited edition. Uh, I, think, I think it's the less limited that you can get though, and that's still very expensive. I might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, if you want to check it out, you can. There were still three copies. It's also I love I love the fact that these celebrations of Grindhouse come out as these grand pieces of art, you know, in their own right. It's interesting. I, what you said about the film posters is correct. You know, you'd, you'd have the posters for the lineup on your wall, just in their own right, because the things are beauty. <laughs> yeah, they were absolutely, and um, yeah, just uh, you, know, you can't believe what went into it. And, yeah. And it's there, though. Well, I know everything's sort of seat of the pants. Everything's made up as they went along, and still brilliant. And wasn't it? So Steve Woolley was programming there when he was. He didn't produce Evil Dead, but he got it distributed. Is that right? I think he did. I need to double check that, but I think he did. He was involved in getting lots of things distributed. Yeah. And he, um, again, I might be wrong here, um, but I think he, he did a lot of work with David Jarman, um, mm. who was a favourite there as well. Um, so yeah, he's he was you know really important. Some of the films he he, he distributed or produced and so oh. it's great it's, you know it's, i didn't know he was a program at the scala so yeah it's um you know, learn about people that I, i've seen him so many you know interviewed on so many discs he's on quite a few discs in the last few years and yeah. i didn't know that so yeah really important, uh, really important <laughs> that's fabulous and, and also you so i'm gonna have to buy the damn thing now i was gonna I, I noticed it is available to stream already so i thought oh, i'll just subscribe to the bfi channel and now you've told me i'm gonna have to buy that it's which always happens when i talk to you I was end up buying stuff as a result of the conversation, which was great. Impossible object. Yep. Would it have sold better with a different title? For goodness sake, I mean, I keep you look it up. I look it up, impossible object. And it's like the 68th thing that comes up on Google. <laughs> um, 
And granted, it's a little-known movie, but I just I thought, some reason it's one of those titles that just shoots past. You know, you don't really hear it. No, exactly. And uh, yeah, maybe the title had something to do with it. I mean, maybe the fact, you know, it was it's predominantly shot, you know, in French language, hence it getting a, a, a shortcut. But I mean, story of a love story, it doesn't sell the film at all. I mean, it it's not, does not it does it? right. Sounds... I think it was just probably missell, missell. But Frankenheimer, you know, he'd had some really important films. Yeah. But even a director like Frankenheimer, you know, some you know some of his films, you know, just have. Uh, have difficulty finding an audience i get but it just wasn't distributed it just didn't get the audience didn't get the tv audience so fair play for it being resurrected now it sounds quite kubrickian it sounds quite nicholas roeg it sounds you know i was just thinking when it seems talking about you know uh time sequences and all that sort of stuff i, I thought and there's some of the rooms you described as well i thought sent straight out kubrick so it's definitely i'm def- definitely gonna have to check that out uh and then the uh the complete contrast that was set in San Francisco. Uh. <laughs> can't can't just give you you know the same types of films, can I? Absolutely um, not. I no. mean, if you like your martial arts, definitely give it a go. Yeah. Um, if you you want to compare Daily City to San Francisco, give it a go. Um, well, also the entertainment <laughs> of just having that title on the spine, you know, it's, 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 to sit with your other kung fu movies. And <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, it's a wonderful package. I mean, that's the thing. Is sometimes with Booty Blu-rays, you know, the film itself might not be great, but actually the story behind it. There's a good story behind why that that got made. But also, you know, seeing Chuck Norris early doors, you know, there's always something around it. And you know, if it's if it's done right, which the likes of you could do, yeah, packages, you know, that you know, package <laughs> is worth it. It's not just about the film; it's about the whole package. <laughs> so, this has been an experiment, our first ever Bristol Cult Film Society Cult Film Podcast podcast spin-off. Our regular pod continues in two weeks' time with some brand new guests, fellow cultists from the ranks of the Bristol Cult Film Society. Pod people this time... Pod people this time with a mighty John Kirk, who writes all his own material, and me, shameful Steve Noble, who notes that all good art is theft. Music, as ever, is by the awesome Alicia Ann Archer. And remember, you just joined... The filthiest person alive! Yeah, was, I, was I calling? Was I pronouncing Scala right? Did I say Scala? No, Scala. You said did Scala. I say Scala? Fine, yeah. good. I did it at the end. Scala, Scala. That's a little puddlyian. It's a little puddlyian offshoot. Scala. 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 There you go. I'm giving you Scala. Scala. Disperse it. Scala. 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 <laughs> oh, cheers! Like I'm going to take well, that. Well, won't it though? If I can't pronounce the Scala right in a court film <laughs> podcast. <laughs>